You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Turn to John 1.1. It's in, of course, the New Testament, and it's after Matthew, Mark, Luke. And then here is John. And we're going to read chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. And we know that this is going to be about Jesus because in verse 14 it says, And the word, this, this word logos in the Greek, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And of course, the word is Jesus. So it says this, a very familiar passage to you, hopefully a very famous passage. It says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And that's, that's a, we'll stop there and just say that's a pretty huge statement for our theology and who Jesus is. We'd say that, that the word, the Logos, who is going to become flesh, and we're going to call him Jesus, um, was God, was with God, and was God. And he was with God in the beginning, and through him, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men, and the, the light shines in the darkness, but then the darkness doesn't understand it. And then the verse I already mentioned, if you want to skip to, just to look at it, verse 14 says, The word became flesh, that's Jesus, and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So let's pray this morning. Jesus, we tell you and, and just confirm and know and believe that you are God we worship you as God. We thank you that you became flesh, became one of us to not just show us the way, but to be the way, not just to show us the truth, but to be the truth. And so God, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, we worship you. We praise your holy name. And everybody screamed, amen. So we're talking about Jesus. I wanted to quickly review what we talked about last week and get right into it because today's lesson is the history of the canon. We'll need lots of time to talk about that. So um, this bigger idea that Jesus is the one we worship. Jesus is the full fullness of the word. And we do call the Bible the word of God. I will call it the word of God. Um, I'm sure you've heard the Bible called the word of God. But this text, this, this word, where it says this English word, word, kind of weird to say, but uh, the English word, word, which is the Greek word logos, is being used here to say the, the true fulfillment of the word of God, the truth, is in Jesus Christ. And I say that to say we, we use the text of scripture. We use, uh, we could call this book, this is the Bible, the word of God, but this ultimately leads us to the truth, who is in the form of a man slash God, Jesus, and we worship him, and we thank him for coming and revealing himself to us. And we use this book, we don't worship this book, but we use it to understand who Jesus is and, and the, the truth that is before us. And so as a review, um, we, we talked about this last week, which is, by the way, I think the picture we used for the, I have it in my pocket, the, the, we call these the skillet, and they have some notes on it for, for the day. Um, and it says the Wesleyan quadrilateral. How many of you you were here last week when we talked about that? Out of you, how many remember what we talked about? <laughs> Just a few hands. Sweet. So I'll quickly review. And if you see it on here or see it up there, um, the truth is in the, in the center, in the circle. And how can we know truth as a community of, of people that have faith in something that we necessarily can't necessarily see and touch and do scientific experiments on? Um, 
Well, we ultimately have at the very top, we see the Bible. And that's our ultimate source for truth and knowing who Jesus is, knowing who God is, religious truth. And we also have community and experience. We can experience Jesus. We can live in this community that we call church or tradition and understand and know what is true by that. And of course, we can also reason through it. We should use our minds. We shouldn't check our minds at the door, but we should ask hard, good questions about the historicity of Jesus and his resurrection. And questions like, well, where did we get the Bible from? Where did we get the canon from? Which is the question that we are going to answer today. So those two things should be review. If I just really confused you, well, you can if you want to go back and listen to the podcasts that are on our Mills website. Go to Sunday School and you can listen to them. What we've been maintaining pretty, uh, we've been up to date, so you can do that. So, the topic we're talking about today is the Apocrypha. How many knew that when they came in? That we're talking about? So, all this month, we take topics by month. We're talking about the Apocrypha, the books that did not make the Bible. And it's really this reason we have to understand well, how did we get the books that we do have? So, that's kind of the hidden agenda this month of talking about the Apocrypha, the books that didn't make it. The hidden agenda that I have is to really talk about the books that did make it and make that difference clear. And, and, and so, today we're going to talk about that. So, welcome to the Mill Sunday School. If you're new to the Mill Sunday School, there's uh, on, on your table, there's a little card. I think it looks like this. And you can fill it out and give it to me or the nice people as you leave in the back. And we'll give you a CD, a worship CD. Um, it's got some songs on it. It's got a welcome from our uh, mill pastor, Daniel Grothy, who speaks on Friday nights. And the Friday night mill is kind of our main thing. And if you're in here now uh, and you haven't been to that, you should check out the mill on a Friday night because this is really kind of a, a smaller grouping of that. We are the, the mill's Sunday school, college, and 20-somethings. Um, and by the way, if you're younger than that or older than that, you're, you're welcome to come always. We won't kick you out or check your ID at the door. So let's get right into it, shall we? Turn to your neighbor and say, Apocrypha. So <laughs> we're talking about the books that did not make it. We'll make this distinction that we're talking about the Catholic Apocrypha. We, we've labeled that big A uh, Apocrypha. And we'll, we're also talking about little A Apocrypha, all the books that could ever be considered, oh, these are lost books, or these are books that didn't make it in any kind of context, then we would call that apocryphal, just for name's sake. And like we did last time in the time before, this is a nerd alert topic. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's a good thing. <laughs> and I think it is in some ways, just to, to, to we're, this is a nerdy topic. We're going to talk about church history. We're going to talk about um, just how we got scripture. And it's a lot of names. And anytime I start putting like dates up on here, you should know that this is nerdy stuff. This isn't stuff that is the stuff you should hear if you're like a brand new Christian. Um, this isn't like the, the first lessons you should hear. This is kind of like an in-depth study. So just be uh, aware that I'm alerting you to this. And the bigger idea of, of why I've, we chose the Apocrypha is this idea that I, I would hope that we would never, that you would have questions about something. Here, as, as a mill person, or, or here coming to Sunday school, you have these questions like, yeah, how did we get the canon? And then maybe you move on from here, uh, you go off to college, or you uh, move somewhere, and you, or, or just in your own context, and, or at your college, which is here. People start questioning and, and asking, asking you if you 
you're a Christian, yeah, how did we get those books? You know that some of you know that we have these other books that didn't make it, and this stirs questions in your mind, and you begin to doubt the context of Scripture or how we got the canon. And so it's in here, the Mill Sunday School, that we we are going to answer the hard question today of how we got the canon of Scripture. The canon is the rule, the standard, the 66 books that we have. How many Old Testament? Anybody know? 39, I heard it. How many New Testament? 27. Yeah, just do the math real quick. And, and that's, that's, so that's what we're doing today. So I wanted to give you a discussion question to get your minds going. And if you're sitting at a smaller table, just invite yourself to a bigger table. We did. Did you recognize that we took out the back chairs? Did you, some of you were like, where's my back seat? I always sit back there. Sorry. We took it out, and here's the reason, and I'll tell you why. We took it out to kind of force people to sit at tables because we like doing discussion at the Mill Sunday School, so that's why we took them out. Um, and so it is what it is. If you, if you like it, um, come tell me that, you, yeah, I like that we have to sit at tables because then I got to meet some people. If you absolutely hate it and you're like, I need that backseat because I have to go halfway during Sunday School to go do children's ministry or something, then come let me know. We're st- it's, it's the first time we're trying it, um, and so that's the reason to kind of force us into groups. So... Get into a group if you're at a smaller table and discuss this question. What if a lost book of the New Testament was found? Let's say some guy's playing in a cave. This is how the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, by the way. And he finds a bunch of clay jars. He pulls it out, and inside the clay jars are scrolls. And in these scrolls is some lost book of the Bible, or the New Testament specifically. And scholars are saying that it should be Scripture. Here's your question. What questions would you want answered about this book before even considering it to be scripture? So, so some people are saying, yeah, it should be scripture. It's one of the lost books of the Bible. We should put it right in. Well, not so fast. What questions would you have? So as a table, list them out. It could be as, as, as easy as where did the book come from to as complex as um, what's in the book, what, if it has this or that. So think about that. Make a list of questions you would want answered. Ready, get set, go. So what questions would you want answered? Anybody? This table, what would you guys say? Yes. Oh, we, were th- we were thinking um, when it was written. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. When, when was it written? Uh, who was the author? Who's the author? Joe Schmo? Uh, or was it Paul? <laughs> good, good question. Does it match with Scripture? Does it, that's a great question. Did, how many of you also put that question? Does it match up with what is... So if it's like totally contradictory and says like, God is this three-headed squirrel monster that will jump out of trees and bite you. It's like, let's not put that in with the rest... So, yeah, good, yes. Is it cited by other scripture, or does it cite Is it cited by other scripture? Great question. Good. Who else? Anybody else? He just nailed, like, five really good ones. Yeah, Paul. Um, I have one extra, I guess. Who is Jesus? Who is it what? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? So, does it talk about Jesus, like that particular book? Who does it say Jesus is? Great question. Foley's? You got anything? Good? What? Good? Anybody? No other questions? Yes. Thank you. Uh, What language was it found in? What language was it found in? And why is it found now? What made the circumstances arise? So I would want to know if it's like God breathed because the the whole Bible is like God breathed and it comes from God. And I would want to know if like this came from God or if someone just made it up. Yeah. So is it a forgery? Great question. How many of you put that down? Is it forged? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question to know. So, any other ones? 
Okay, I think we've Yeah, yeah, Joe, actually. Oh, you, I, I have, Aaron, walking around with the mic, always gets the chance to talk because he's got the mic. What, what can I say? <laughs> but um, you have good comments, so yeah, please yeah, well, go ahead. Well, obviously, uh, or, origin where it's found, like if it's found in North America. Yeah, if it's... <laughs> on, on golden plates or something like that. <laughs> okay. Uh, so so what, what it's found on and, and its uh, authenticity is, is really important. Yeah, so how can uh, we test its authenticity? What, where right. was it found? What, what, what else was it found with? Could it be a forgery? I, th- I think she asked the question great. Just could, how do we know it is written by who uh, it says it is written by? And these are great questions. And these are the kinds of questions um, that, that end up in the story of how we got the canon. So if you're taking down notes, put this point down. This is kind of where we're going from here. And that we decided to talk about this because I knew we had to talk about it, but also because uh, so many of you, so I have your questions. We handed out these uh, cue cards last week, and you gave them back to me with your questions on them, and so many of them pertain to how did we get the books that we do have in the Bible, and how can we, um, how can we know that, well, the, the books that have been left out have been left out for a reason. So somebody asked, how do we determine the books that do not belong in the Bible? How did they pick the books that are in the canon? And they is, is in quotations. Um, why weren't they canonized, the books that aren't in? Um, could we include more books of the Bible? When was the canon closed kind of questions. Um, how, how did the deciding members determine the, the books that were in the Bible? So it's kind of like, who decided? How did they decide the books that were in the Bible? And so let's... Um, kind of step back and say, here's the study, here's the story of how we got the canon. See what I did there? It's spelled differently. C-A-N-N-O-N is the artillery that shoots cannonballs. Um, we are talking about the story of the canon, C-A-N-O-N. Everybody clear about that? Just nod your head. Be like, duh, okay. So the canon is this Latin word, if you don't know, that literally means rule or standard or measuring stick. And it's, it's, it's this, so we as Christians say that the scripture is canonized. We would say, oh, it has been standardized. We have the 66 books of the Old Testament, 33, excuse me, 33 old, 27 new that make up our 66 books of the Bible. And the story of the canon is two individual stories. Many of you probably thought this through already, but it's an Old Testament story, how we got the Old Testament, and then it's a New Testament story, how we got the 27 books of the New Testament. So before we begin, I want to begin with where we are going to end, and we're going to end with this particular slide, and we're going to talk about how the Bible has been canonized, it has been standardized, that the church has handed it down to us, and so that we now have it, and look back and say, yes, the early church has um, said that these books are sacred, that these books are scripture, that we have all 66 of them. And there's, there's potentially others out there that, that, that could have been thought of as scripture, but for, for whatever reason, they were not added in, and these ones have been added in. So it's, it's almost like, I'm going to keep going back to this idea of, like, why does the Catholic Church have the apocryphal books, these seven books? Well, there's questions about those those books. Specifically, how sacred are they? In church history, people have had their doubts whether they should be sacred or scripture or inspired. So there's questions about that. And so if there's questions about it, I think we as Protestants have said, well, if there's questions, let's take it out. Let's, let's rather be safe than sorry. And so let's take them from scripture and just know that the 66 books that have made it are sacred and have gone down in history as sacred. And so the story is going to have 
have lots of nerdy kind of things like I'm going to put up dates and, and, and names that you may not have heard of before. Um, and it really gets down to the nitty gritty of doing archaeology. How many of you like archaeology? Probably because you like this guy. Dun, 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 dun. If you know it. Dun, 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 dun. Anyway, so doing archaeology, I think you know, you're smart enough to know that doing archaeology doesn't involve ripping your shirt half off and going on adventures. Um, I think you know that, that archaeology is actually pretty mind-blowingly, like, tedious, and most people would say boring and hard. It involves working with little scraps of paper like this. This is a, a fragmentary uh, manuscript from somewhere around 1st, 2nd, 3rd century. I just kind of pulled it off the internet as a Greek fragmentary um, uh, piece, just a picture to show you like the kinds of things an archaeologist would have to work with. And it involves like white gloves and tweezers and, and, and looking at pieces of paper like this that are barely legible. Um, I remember when, this is just a random story, I went to Penrose Library a long time ago um, to get a bunch of books that were on a syllabus that I was taking for a, uh, a seminary class. And I, I was picking out all the books, and one of the books was listed as being in the special collection. And so I went to the special collection just thinking, oh, it's in the special collection. It must be special. Let me just go get it and bring it home. And the lady was like, all right, leave your book bags here, empty your pockets, and then go into the room. And I was like, wait, what? And so I left my book bag and things in my pockets there. I was ushered into this room. And she's like, sit here, put on these gloves. And she gave me these little white, like, cotton gloves. And then she brings out this old book, like to us, American old. It's like 100 years old, not that old Bible times. But she brings out this book, and then she's like, all right, you can read it, but you can't bring it home. And I was like, okay. So I just, I was like, well, I'm not going to read it here. I'm not prepared to read it. And so I was like going through this thing with my little white gloves, thinking like, okay, is she watching me? This is weird. Um, anyways, side side story to say that, The documents of the Bible are much older than that. Like you can't get to them unless you are trained, unless you um, are studying at a school that has them under glass. And the people studying these kinds of things are looking at the oldest ones and trying to figure out, okay, what do they say? Do they add any kind of clues into um, what the the books of the Bible that we have now are? How did we get those books? So anyways, we're going to be doing kind of nerdy archaeological historical stuff just as far as a warning to you. And so let's start the story with the Old Testament story, how we got the Old Testament. And of course, the very short answer is, well, from the Jewish people that have gone before us, the Jewish people that predated the Christian church. And so here's a picture of a scroll. And what's insane to think to me is that the actual format of a book, like pages like this and bind on one side so that you can turn to it and say flip to John or you could flip to Isaiah or you could flip to any page in this book at once wasn't invented until maybe first century AD. And so before that time, everything that was written down as far as book format was written in this kind of format, a scroll. Um, I don't know if you could see that picture very well, but this would be a very old scroll. You'd be very careful with this thing. You wouldn't just be willy-nilly flipping around through it trying to find passages that you wanted to find. In fact, if, if you had one of these, you would have to be extremely careful with it. When it gets rolled up, it gets bent, it gets broken, it could, you could lose the whole thing. If, if it, you know, after time, it would just turn to, to literally to dust. And so it's just, it's, it's insane to think that the book format wasn't invented until much later, that, that everyone had scrolls in the Old Testament when they're talking about the Old Testament scriptures. 
And, and because this, this format was so hard to look at and read, so many people, um, their, their way of knowing the scriptures was to memorize it. And so it's popular, was popular, even at the time of Jesus, for all young men, and unfortunately women were not educated at this time, it just, it was what it was. Um, little boys, instead of reading, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, they would memorize huge portions of the Old Testament scripture. I've heard that the, most little boys would have the Torah memorized. So, just think about that for a second. And look, if you have a Bible in front of you, look how big the Torah is. If you don't know what it is, I'll tell you. It's the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so here it is. I'm holding it up. Little Jewish boys would have that memorized. Are you kidding me? Like, that's just a completely different way of educating people and, and memorization that, I mean, I'm lucky to, like, memorize a verse, you know? Like, yes, I memorized John 3.16. High fives, everybody. Like, what? No, they memorized the Torah. Like, that's all they did. They memorized it, and it was so in important in their community not to lose that text because these kinds of scrolls were hard to get at. A city might have a couple of them. Um, A synagogue might have a few of them. And and so anyways, I say all that to say that, that when were these books canonized? When would you have all 39 of these scrolls lined up and people would all recognize them as scripture and recognize other things not as scripture? Well, if you're writing down dates, you could write down 450 BC is when the Tanakh, that's the that's the commentary on the, on the Jewish law, said that the, the books of the, of the um, excuse me, the Talmud says that the Tanakh was compiled, and the Tanakh is the name, I'm, I'm giving you a lot of words here, I realize, but the Tanakh is the, the uh, we could just say Hebrew Bible. So th- this other piece of writing says that the Hebrew Bible was compiled by men of the Great Assembly in 450 BC. And so we could like, oh, okay. So before Jesus came, we could kind of recognize that, that the Old Testament, that the Hebrew scriptures were, were, in some ways, we could use the word canonized or compiled. But there are people, there are scholars that say, well, not so fast. That, that, that date needs to be re-looked at. And so th- some scholars will argue, well, it was probably uh, canonized sometime between 200 BC up until the time of Christ. And maybe actually they were still working on canonizing it in various Jewish um, areas and, and making those decisions because think about it this way like they don't have the book format yet and so they're like deciding which scrolls are authoritative and, and, and sacred to them and, and that just took that took time. It took, it took talking about it and, and debating. It's like I would read Isaiah and say, oh, yes, of course, that is, that is sacred to us. And they would read First and Second Chronicles and say, yes, of course, that is sacred to us. And then they'd read other books and say, no, not so much, but that's maybe important for our history. So let's keep it around. But then they, you know, over time would make decisions over, well, that's history, but it's not, it's, it's not sacred. It's not canon. And so what is cool is that the Jewish scriptures, the Jewish canon did come out to be the exact 39 books that we have in our Old Testament. And, and they, they um, order them differently, and they, they kind of number them differently. In fact, like for instance, uh, all 12 minor prophets they have as one book, just, just for that's what they have done. But that's the same books. It's the, it's the 12 minor prophets. They've just numbered them differently. And, and they say that there's three types of writing in the Old Testament. The Torah, the first five books. Uh, the prophets, which would include Isaiah and Ezekiel. And then they have the writings, which would include Psalms, Proverbs, Job. And so we and the, and the Jewish people, uh, we as Protestants, have the same exact 
scriptures as they do. Pretty cool, right? Right. And so they, and so a lot of this story of the Old Testament is the Jewish people that have gone before us have God entrusted with them the word of God and they have passed it on to us and we as Protestants have the same list as them. So where did the Apocrypha Big A come from? And so if you know what the Big A Apocrypha is, you know that if you've been coming, you know that it's the seven books that were left out of our uh, Protestant Bibles, but it is in the Catholic Bible. Well, that story has to involve us talking about this, the LXX, the Septuagint. Does anyone read Roman numerals and know what LXX, what number that is? Anybody? You're like, oh, the L, uh, uh, anybody want to yell out a guess? 70, yes, it is. The L means 50, and the X's are 10, so 50, 60, 70. And the Septuagint, that word in Latin actually means 70. And so what in the world is this? What does that mean? Well, the Septuagint, if you don't know what it is, it is the Greek uh, translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. Hebrew Old Testament was originally written in what language? Hebrew, kind of duh, um, but then translated in about 250, 200s BC into Greek because that was the language of the time in, in the, the Middle East and all over the, the known Greek world at the time. So they translated it into Greek from Hebrew, and it's called the 70. It's, it's called that because supposedly kind of the folklore story is, is that someone sent a letter to someone else saying, here's why it's authoritative, because uh, I'm reading it for you. King Ptolemy once gathered 72 elders, placed them in 72 different chambers, all of them separate, without revealing to them why he summoned them, so that'd be kind of scary. But he went to each one and said, write for me the Torah. And then supposedly they all 70 in different chambers wrote down the Greek translation of the Hebrew text and supposedly they were all the same. So it's kind of this folklore story that that kind of got passed on to add uh, authenticity to the Septuagint. But the Jewish people, for them, it was kind of a love-hate relationship. In some ways, it was a love relationship because here they had their their Hebrew Bible in Greek now and the known world spoke Greek. And so it's like, oh, we can give this to the Gentiles and the Gentiles can read it. The non-Hebrew speaking people will now have the Old Testament in their hands. Pretty cool. But it's also a hate relationship because it was never like, they never all sat down and said, yes, this is authoritative to us as the Hebrew people. I mean, here they were memorizing it in Hebrew, and then somebody goes ahead and translates it into Greek. And so you can imagine that they would be upset by that. They would be, hey, you know, it was originally written in Hebrew. Let's keep it in Hebrew. Um, And so there there was this love-hate relationship with the Septuagint. Or if you ever see it in in a book you're reading, the LXX, that's what it's referring to, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. So, why do I mention that? And, and with the Apocrypha and the books of the canon uh, that were left out but, but are in the Catholic Bible. And here I have my, because I was raised Catholic as a little boy, it, they gave it to me in a box as a present because I had six years perfect attendance at Sunday school. That's pretty, so I just keep having to say that because it's, you know, it's a pretty proud moment in my life of having six years of perfect attendance. But anyways, um, here's my Catholic Bible and in it would be these books, these seven books, Tobit, Judith, 1st, 2nd Maccabees, Wisdom, Sirach, and Baruch. And then the books of Esther and Daniel are a little bit longer than our Protestant versions. So that's the Apocrypha Big A. So where did we get those books from? Well, those books were included with the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. What's the name again? Septuagint. So those, these seven books were included in the Septuagint, and they were not in the Hebrew Scriptures. So, 
what language was the New Testament written in? The New Testament writers were, they were writing in what language? Greek. Okay, so stay with me for a second. So the, the Greek world accepted the Septuagint as scripture um, and started using it, which is this interesting idea that the, the Greek New Testament quotes of the Old Testament, two-thirds of them are directly from the Septuagint. So the, the, the Gentiles, the Greek-speaking world, accepted the, the, the Old Testament Septuagint, this Greek translation, because they were speaking Greek. Of course they would accept it. Why go learn Hebrew you know, and, and, and spend the time doing that just to, just to have it in Hebrew when it's already in your language that you already speak? Uh, and so th- that's why... Um, Potentially, early Christians accepted the Septuagint and accepted these seven books um, as, as Old Testament scriptures. Now, the big question in the room is, well, why don't we as Protestants still have these books in our Bibles? And the, 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 Excuse me, we don't have them, but the Catholics do have them. Well, it comes down to this idea that we as Protestants have kind of looked at it and said, hey, wait a minute. Um, this is my kind of translation of, of what's going on. But hey, wait a minute. The, the Hebrews, the Jews, by whom we accepted the Old Testament from, do not, they don't have these seven books in their scriptures. So if they don't, and that they were the authority back then of what should be in the Old Testament, and if they don't have them in their scriptures, then why would we have them? Does that make sense? And so if you're ever talking with a Catholic and they're saying like, hey, you took out books of the Bible— you say, well, yeah, we did because the Hebrews, they took them out. And it's on their authority of by whom we received it from, they took it out. So we should also take it out. And if you're talking to a Catholic person and want to impress them and don't want to offend them, you would talk about the deuterocanonical works and not the word apocrypha. They don't call it the apocrypha. They call it, oh, the deuterocanonical books. And if the Catholic really knows what they'll they're talking about, you would impress them by saying that these seven books are not in our Protestants because they are deuterocanonical. Deutero meaning secondary, secondary to scripture. And if they're secondary, let's take them out. Let's have no doubt about the books that are in the Bible. So there we are with a very, very short story of how we got the Old Testament. We, would, we got it from the Jewish people, and they had, had canonized it into the books that we now have as the 39. And, of course, the seven extra ones that the Catholic Church still has were from the Septuagint that was never officially used as the, as the Hebrew standard for what was canon. So that's that. Hopefully that makes sense. I'm sure a lot of that kind of was just like stirring up other questions in your mind. But once again, it's a nerd alert. So... What can you do? Besides study it more and think about it some more. That's what nerds do, right? All right. So if you're ready to hear the New Testament story, say, I'm ready. Okay. I feel like I'm talking very fast because there's a lot to go over. But uh, maybe I'll slow down and give you this question. What came first? The chicken or the egg? The, the, the real question that I'm about to give you is kind of like that. Um, this question that ancient scholars used to ponder. I remember my dad would always ask me this question. I'd be like, uh, what? The chicken or the egg? And different groups have different ways of answering the question. There's lots of jokes about answering this question. But what came first? The church or the Bible? Think about that for just a second. It's kind of like a what came first, the chicken or the egg question. But what came first, the church, the Christian church, 
or the Bible that we now have today? And of course, we're talking about the New Testament story. So we could further this question and say, what came first, the New Testament church or the New Testament Bible? It's a good question, don't you think? Are you sitting there thinking about it? Um, And if you think about it enough, the answer should be blaringly obvious that in the New Testament, for instance, the book of Acts, it records the story of the formation of the church. So if the book of Acts, which is in the Bible, has the story of the formation of the church, well then what came first, the church or the Bible? Well, we'd have to say, hopefully you're following my logic here, that the church came first. If, if Acts talks about the church, and then after Acts was written, it was then canonized into something that we would call the New Testament, then of course the church came first before the Bible. Right? If you're with me, say right. Yeah, okay, good. So, so it, is, it seems like this, this, this uh, chicken or the egg question, but hopefully we realize that, oh, it was the church who, in fact, would give us the Bible. And you're like, wait, what do you mean by that? Well, well, just, just follow me out on this. We'd say that the church, and we would, we would define that as the people of God living in the first century, the early church. We'd say that Paul was a part of the church, right? Peter was a part of the church. So it's members from the part of the church. We would say specifically disciples and apostles wrote the Bible. And then it was the people like you and me, get this, like you and me that would read these things and say, yes, this is sacred. Let's pass this on. In fact, Peter wrote it. He was an eyewitness to Jesus. Like Peter, the same guy that was around Jesus and then denied him. And then Christ told him he loved him. And yes, that same guy wrote this book. Of course it's sacred. Let's pass it on. Let's keep it on our bookshelf as sacred because these writings are so important to us. Let's copy them. Let's pass them on to other churches so that they could have them. And then the other churches would make the decisions. Of course, this is sacred to us. And so the church came alongside with the Bible. It's like when your fingers come together like this, like the church and the Bible being formed together, being, you could think about it as like a zipper, all coming together. The the church, the books of the Bible, deciding upon them. Um, and, And so it's not like some of these questions uh, you guys, you guys wrote down like who were the deciding members that determined the scripture? Well, well, it was it was more like the church came together and decided what was scripture, and it happened very organically. And I'll explain that in a second. But first, two things to kind of um, get your mind thinking um, through the the church versus the, the the church or Bible, which came first. And I want to bring up this passage, a passage that we began the Mill Sunday School this month with. 2 Timothy 3.16. Some of you know this. It says, all scripture is God-breathed. Wow, lots of you know it. And useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the person of God may be thoroughly equipped. And so we have this passage, and it says, all scripture. And we're like, sweet. As New Testament Protestant evangelical Christians, we're like, sweet. This whole book, I'm holding up my Bible, Old and New Testament. We're like, sweet. All of this scripture is God-breathed. And I would agree with that 100% and say, yes, of course it is God-breathed. And we do declare the New Testament as scripture. But someone came out, I think it was Brandon King, uh, came up to me afterwards and were like, hey, you do know that when Paul was writing to Timothy, um, the, the New Testament canon had not yet formed. So if we refer to all scripture as, as far as Paul was referring to it, he was kind of just referring to what had already been canonized and called scripture. And that would be the Old Testament. Has anyone ever thought about that before? A few people. Yeah, it's kind of like this, whoa, it's like, 
wait a minute, what are you, what are you saying? Well, I'm, I'm talking about context here. And I'm talking about Paul writing to Timothy in the first century and the, the New Testament, some of the books not being around yet potentially, and say, well, they, they would be coming into existence and we would call them God-breathed. We would call them scripture. But let's be honest about what exactly Paul was referring to to Timothy when he wrote. And we'd have to say, well, the Old Testament. But we could go on and say, well, even some of the New Testament works that were around were already become already being called scripture. For example, I'm going to give you two, uh, two or three examples. You could look these up later. But in 1 Timothy 5.18, it's random scripture that says, Scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading grain, which is a quote from the Old Testament. And then it says, the worker deserves his wages, which is like, you're like, where's that in the Old Testament? And you can go do a concordance and find it, and you will actually find it in the New Testament in the book of Luke, Luke 10.7. And so already in Timothy, Paul is referring to Luke, we'd have to, we'd have to assume, as Scripture. And so that's pretty cool. So here's one New Testament author referring to another New Testament author as Scripture. Um, I'll give you one more Scripture. Second Peter 3. Uh, 14 through 16, I think it's the, the verse 16 that says, Paul is referring to Peter's writings, excuse me, Peter is referring to Paul's writings as scripture. Listen to what he says. He says, his letters, referring to Paul, contain some things that are hard to understand. Anybody agree with that? Yeah, Paul's under hard to understand. So even Peter's like, yeah, it's hard to understand. Um, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do other scriptures. So it's like, oh, Peter's referring to Paul, Paul's writings as scripture. That's pretty cool. And so, so we shouldn't throw this whole verse out and say, oh, this verse is only referring to the Old Testament because Paul very well could have been referring to other New Testament scriptures that were already in place. Pretty cool, I think. Here's another one just for fun. Uh, me and Chris Simons were talking about this one earlier. Revelation 22, 18 through 19 says something to effect of, do not take away the, the words of the scroll or... God will take away from you blessing or do not add to the the words of the scroll anything or God will add to you the plagues that are written in it. Are you familiar with this verse? And so lots of us think that this is really cool, and I'm included, uh, think it's really cool that this particular passage comes at the end of Revelation, which is at the end of our Bible. And so we're like, oh, sweet. It's like the last thing that's said. And it's not the last thing. It's like there's a couple more verses after it. But anyways, it's like one of the last things that's said. And we could say, look, this warning is about all of Scripture. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. And I think that's pretty cool. But according to the actual the context of what's being said here, John, the author, of course, is only referring to the book of Revelation because potentially other books weren't even written yet. However, Revelation may have been one of the last. But anyways, thinking about the context, we'd have to say that, that this particular verse is referring to the scroll, the, the Revelation scroll, not necessarily to the whole Bible. But I think we as Christians could say, hey, this is just important for all scripture. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. It is very serious in how it has been formed. So I, I go back to this idea that I already kind of brought up, this idea of the early church organically forming as a church and with the, with the scriptures as they formed. And I think it's really cool, um, this idea of organic, because what's not cool is like corporate and stickers on it and pesticides and chemicals and being told what is and what is not. That's kind of like harsh, but the idea of organic, like here's me, organic farming in my backyard. Look, I grew a cucumber or it's a zucchini squash. But anyways, I grew that with my own bare hands. 
Actually, that's a horrible way to say it. I planted the seeds with my own bare hands, and it grew, uh, and I watered it. But anyways, so this, this is like the idea of organically forming. And I would argue, I put this up there not to confuse you with farming analogies, but to say that in some ways, in a lot of ways, the analogy of how the New Testament formed was organically. By people like you and I receiving scriptures like the letters of Paul and saying, this is awesome. Let's pass this on. Let's hold this as sacred. Let's give it to other people. And then sometimes people would find a book that was potentially a forgery and say, hey, hey, where'd you get that book? Well, I got it from the guy down the road. He sold it to me for like five days wages. And you're like, what? What, what does it say? Well, it seems like it's written by Paul. It's like, can you be sure? No. Does it look like the writings of Paul? No. Does it refer to God as a three-headed squirrel beast? Yes. And so it's like, wait, what? Like, where'd you get this thing? You just spent five days wages on it. It's, it's, let's hold on to it because it's weird. And, and, and we're not really sure where it came from, but let's not put it on the bookshelf of sacred. Let's not read it in the churches when we gather together. Let's, let's, let's not copy it as, as much as the other things that we do know as scripture. Um, let's, that, and that's a big idea, reading it in the churches. So, um, councils confirmed what was in scripture um, but they did not determine what was in Scripture. Some of you asked questions like, when did the council confirm what was in Scripture? Well, or excuse me, when did the council determine? It's like, well, let's just word that differently and say that the New Testament church, people like you and I, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and when we read the, the, the sacredness of the, our Scriptures, we say, yes, this is holy. The Holy Spirit is speaking to me through reading this, and this is awesome. Let's pass this on. And then other churches are like, yes, of course. These are the scriptures. Let's pass these on. Let's bind them together. Um, we have councils, and I think next time we'll, we'll talk about wh- what councils uh, were there and when were they, because this story is going to take us some more time to go through. But we'll talk about... Um, the councils that, excuse me, didn't determine but confirmed. So the early church got to determine what the scriptures were. And councils, like we'll talk about Hippo and Carthage and Athanasius' letter and some other fragments of, of lists that we have of the New Testament and how awesome it is that, the, that God, the Holy Spirit, was working in the early church to, to present which books were holy to them and and the people of God that were meeting and the people of God that were reading them when they gathered. And it's a very organic formation. And we can't ever say that, oh, some council got to determine. No, the church got to determine and councils got to confirm what the church had already determined. Hopefully that makes sense. I want to give you a discussion question. Let me find it here on uh, the slide because I'm going to skip a couple slides and talk about this next time. But I wanted to give you this discussion question of um, um, just kind of like, what if we found a book that, that should be in Scripture? Or at least some people are saying, well, maybe this should be in Scripture. So here's the discussion question. Look at this verse before I give you the discussion question. This is Paul writing to the Colossians. And it says something really interesting. It says, after this letter has been read to you, which is just really cool that it's, it's like, okay, if something is sacred, you're going to read it in church meetings. So if the, make sure, so Paul's giving full authority to this letter. He's saying, read it in the churches. So after this letter has been read to you, see also that it is read to the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read, what does that say? The letter from Laodicea. Everybody say, is that in the Bible? 
Is it in the Bible? No, we, we don't have a, a letter to the Laodiceans or from the Laodiceans. Um, and so it's like, wait a minute here. Paul is referring to a letter that for whatever reason has been lost. And so wait a minute. Like, okay, what is, so your discussion question is, what if this letter was found? What if the letter from Laodicea is found and verified? And this is very hypothetical because all your questions about the book are positively answered without any doubt. And of course, that's hypothetical because no one could ever verify that, you know, Paul wrote this from Laodicea. You can't just verify that with 100% accuracy. But let's say for some crazy reason, it has been verified without any doubt. Should this book be added to the canon? All right, if I had to make you vote, if you, if you had to vote, either yes or no, and some of you don't like being forced to do things, but it, let's just say you have to. For the, I mean, this is all hypothetical anyways. So how many of you would say, yeah, let's add it to the canon? A couple of people, oh, wow. How many of you say, no way, let's not add it to the canon? And see, this, so we are like, it would be really cool if this book was found. And by the way, we, we do find books every once in a while, like the Dead Sea Scrolls. Those were just found in the 50s. And so that's pretty cool that like new books and new, like, oh, wow, sweet. This is a, this is a, a different passage or they translated this. And look at this. I mean, we are finding new things and it's pretty awesome. Um, and so if this book was found, and by the way, it is very hypothetical because we would have to say that, you know, if a book like this was found, we can never positively answer all, pos- all, all your questions in a positive way. Like, oh, it's definitely written by Paul. You can't verify that. I mean, we would just have a piece of, a very old piece of paper and w- you couldn't verify without a, with 100% assurity that it was Paul. And here's, here's where I would land this, this plane. Um, and I would say that I, my answer would be no. Let's not put it in the canon. And here's why. Um, it, if we just threw a book into the Bible, um, if we found a book, we're like, oh, sweet, let's throw it in the context of Scripture, we would be bypassing this, this hundreds of years of early church organic formation. Because for some reason, this early church probably did have this letter. I mean, Paul is telling uh, the Colossians to, to have this letter read, but for whatever reason, that letter was lost. And, if, and, and I think about it this way, if, if God really wanted it to be in the Bible like it, like it should be, if it, if it is, then, then he probably would have preserved it. He probably would have allowed his Holy Spirit to protect, uh, the Holy Spirit would have protected the book that, that, that should have been preserved. And so what, for whatever reason, somebody was like, let's not copy this one. This, this one could be a forgery. Or they have two letters from the Laodiceans, and you're like, well, is this one forged and this one not? Um, what do we do with this? And so as time progressed, for whatever reason, the, the letter from Laodicea was lost. And other books of the Bible were not lost. I mean, people were giving their lives to make sure that the the Gospel of John, for instance, wasn't lost, was ca- copied and carried on and passed on. People were literally, in the other early church, giving their lives to make sure that this, these books were, were sent, uh, sent on and copied. And so, for whatever reason, we don't have this letter from Laodicea. And I would argue, let's not burn it. Let's not throw it in the garbage can. But let's not 
put it into the, the canon of Scripture, just like, oh, sweet, let's throw it in. Let's keep it on the side. Let's put it with other books. Let's put it with maybe where we as Protestants put uh, the Apocrypha, or First and Second Maccabees, or the Book of Enoch, or the Didache, or the, Sher- the, the Shepherd of Hermas. Like, these books that may have some truth to them, they, they may shed light on history, but, but they're not sacred. And, and what is sacred has been passed on to us in this organic formation from the early church that we will continue this story next time because there's a lot more details. There's a lot more, um, this kind of the beauty of how the Holy Spirit works in his church and declares what is sacred um, through people like you and me and through the super apostles like Paul and Peter and John and how they wrote those books and how you and I got to say yes and confirm that this is sacred. So let's, let's, let's pray. Um, let's, let's, let's thank God for the, the, the books that we do have in scripture and we'll continue this conversation next week. So, um, God, we do tell you that we are um, amazed that you have um, given us this canon of Scripture, that we, have, that we do have it, and we could, can trust in it as sacred because it has been passed on through your Holy Spirit, through the church. And God, we worship you. We worship you alone, and we use your Scripture to understand who you are and to, with truth and, and with, with spirit, worship you for who you are. So God, we praise your holy name. We thank you. And everybody said, amen. All right, everybody, we will continue right on with with where we left off next week. So I'll see you then. Peace out. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.